0: Welcome to Fire Drill Podcast. <laughs> Probably just cut you guys real good. You're listening to the Five show.
1: I guess my thing is that I've tried so many businesses on top of my day job that I've thought about it, and if I were to quit my job, I don't think I'd want to spend all day doing my businesses. So my new thing is that I'm trying to set my life up so that when I quit my job, these businesses, or you know if I were to, These businesses would completely run on their own without me having to do them.
0: Welcome to The Fi
2: Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host,
0: Cody and Justin. Hey, what's up, guys? And welcome to another episode of The Fi Show. And I could not be doing this without my co-host, Justin. Oh, Cody, you're just too kind. And so, Justin, I think the listeners are going to be jealous when you tell them where you're at right now. Yeah, man, just heading
2: over to Oahu from Kauai. I'm actually pretty pumped because in Oahu, I'm going to get to do some surfing with our bud, uh, Doug Norman, from the Military Guide. Got some awesome hikes down here, kayaking, uh, going to do some skydiving. Like It's a pretty awesome trip.
0: Damn, (laughs) I'm even more jealous after hearing all that stuff all right, Justin, but enough about you and your fancy little Hawaii trip. (laughs) Let's bring in the real star of the show. And who we have on today is Jay from Millennial Boss. And she's also the co-host of the Fire Drill podcast, where we have actually both guest featured. So this is kind of returning the favor, getting her on the show, getting to share her story a bit. And she just really has such an inspiring story, jumping up the ladder, not just the corporate ladder, but the entrepreneurial ladder too. So I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. But without further ado, let's bring her in.
1: I had absolutely no thoughts about finances. The only thing I was worried about was getting the beer money for the field hockey team because I played field hockey in college and everyone had to pay up $150 to pay for the beer money for the semester. So I was worried about that and where I was getting my Forever 21 going out clothes, where I'd get four different dresses or halter tops in different colors. So it was completely juvenile and stupid.
0: And so what were you studying?
1: I was studying political science. I started out as a biology major, actually, thought I wanted to be a doctor. And school always came easy to me, and that path continued in college too. But what I realized is when you are defining your curriculum and you're picking your major, that doesn't matter whether you're getting A's or not, you need to have a focus and a North Star, and my North Star was all over the place. So I started out pursuing biology because I wanted to be a doctor, quickly realized that I had mild germophobia that wasn't going to work for me after working in a hospital, Then I decided that I was going to switch to political science and be a lawyer and ended up graduating, working as a legal assistant and didn't think that that was the best approach for me either.
0: So at that point, you're 22 years old. Is that when you graduated? Yes. So you're 22 years old, you're a legal assistant. And did a light bulb just flicker in your head saying, I need to change, I need to do something different? Or what was the catalyst that sprung you down a different path?
1: So after I graduated college, I moved back in with my parents because I was working. I lived in Boston and I was working in the greater Boston area. So it made sense to just live at home, especially with the money that I was making. And I realized early on into the legal assistant job that it wasn't going to be for me. Some of the lawyers that I was working with sat me down and they described that how Sally May owned their life and it wasn't actually what they thought in practice. And it's kind of interesting. I had a few people who were lawyers who had that conversation with me and kind of encouraged me to either go to business school or to open up my mind to different possibilities. So that only made me even more confused as someone who kind of went through college switching their mind a lot and not really sure what direction that they're working in. But blogging was becoming very popular within my friend group. And my friends started having these lifestyle WordPress blogs about what we were doing with our lives when we just graduated college. And I decided that my life was super boring. I was living with my parents. I worked all the time. I didn't spend any money because I lived at home and I didn't want to go into the city. It felt like too much of a hassle. And I kind of think it maybe was the start of a little bit of a depression. Like I'm not in college with all my friends anymore and having all these plans and having at least somewhat of a focus with sports and school. I kind of felt a little lost, so I decided to not do anything and stay home. But because my friends were blogging and I was embarrassed about my life, I decided to start a blog about something that I was super passionate and super jazzed up about. And for me, that passion was study abroad. So I ended up creating a WordPress blog called ilovestudyabroad.com and chronicled my experiences studying abroad and helping students figure out where to study and how to study and what to do.
2: And did you see any success from your friends' blogs and see this as a potential you know, source of income, or was this just a flat-out hobby?
1: This was completely a hobby at the time. I didn't have an idea of where it could go. I didn't know that I could make money with it. I actually have an email that I sent to a huge travel blogger, Adventurous Kate. Some people may read her blog. And I sent her an email saying, hey, I'd love to do what you do full time. Can you help me? It was just the saddest like, you know, email ever. And it's really (laughs) funny looking back on it, because now that I have a bigger blog and a podcast, I kind of get those emails too. And it's just funny that but that's a spot that I was at. I was just doing it because I had almost I had a calling I had a passion to produce for the first time in my life. So instead of joining groups and clubs and sports, finally, I was the one who was producing. And that I enjoyed that role. And the more and more I did it, the more I got into it.
0: Yeah. So the first thing I just want to touch on there is how similar we are, because I kind of found my calling with creation just in general, no matter what it is, I just feel so passionate about creating, whether it's something physical, whether it's something digital, there's just a certain pride that comes from creating something with your own hands. And the second part of that that I want to dive into is you're working as a legal assistant while you start your blog, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Doing both.
0: And so how long did you stay at that legal assistant job? Because I can't imagine you were getting too much fulfillment from that job as a creator.
1: I was not. And every single night, I race home from work to, so I could log into my laptop and work on this blog. And I remember my mom would come in and say like, what are you doing? And I'm like, mom, I'm blogging, go away. And (laughs) I was just so intense and focused on it, but it ended up growing. And I think at one point I was getting 3000 page views per month, which now is small compared to the traffic that I'll get on millennial boss. But at the time I felt like, whoa, like this is working. And I would interact with other travel bloggers on Twitter. Now from that I became interested in digital media. And I started searching job boards because I knew I wanted to leave my legal assistant job, even though, by the way, this was a great job. They paid good money for, you know, someone just out of college. I had a great colleague that I worked with. My boss was awesome. The lawyers I worked with were great. I actually worked with a family member, a distant family member, and we would have lunch together every day. So, I mean, the actual job was not awful. It was fine. It was the fact that I wasn't I knew I wasn't in the right place of where I wanted to take my life and the path that I was on wasn't the right path. So I was constantly searching job boards. And one day I typed in digital media and I saw an internship pop up at the U.S. Olympic Committee for a digital media intern. And I decided, you know, I have experience from building my blog. I'm going to scrap everything I did in college. Who cares about my straight A's and my internships and my sports, whatever. And I'm going to put everything about this blog, like how many Twitter followers I have and the traffic I'm getting and the keyword research I do and all that and submit that and see what happens and I ended up getting an interview and then got the job.
2: And before we delve into, you know, where that career path took you, I'm curious if at this point, you know, is the blog still a passion project and not an income earner, and if that's the reason you decided to go to work for someone else and, you know, build their brand instead of just focusing on your own.
1: I hadn't figured out yet that you could monetize it. I did see that there were full-time travel bloggers, and when Adventurous Kate actually did answer me and she said Look into affiliate marketing, which is something that I do now. So I know what she was talking about. But at the time, that kind of went way over my head. I did see other study abroad bloggers, they were recommending travel insurance, which is something that a lot of travel bloggers still recommend today. And I didn't quite understand that. And I didn't know how it would fit for the study abroad student necessarily. So it wasn't based on income at all. And I think a lot of people who start blogs, and actually in the personal finance blog world, you'll hear a lot of people like, oh, this is my passion, this is my hobby. I'm still passionate about it, but after doing this, this was back in 2011, yeah, 2011 when I started that blog. Now it's 2018, I'm not doing something and spending that much time unless I get paid for it. It's very different now.
2: Exactly, and I mean you should get paid for that work. You probably spent countless hours on this blog doing things like keyword research, which is not necessarily you know, exciting, passionate part of the craft. And there's nothing wrong with using these affiliate links to just get reimbursed for your time.
1: Also, that's how people buy things today. So, for example, today, I was looking for I was looking for leggings that you could wear to work under a sweater that real people have commented whether or not the leggings were good quality, like were they see-through, were they thick enough? And whenever I typed them in, I kept seeing all these brand descriptions of leggings, and I was annoyed. I wanted to find I want to find a real person who's commenting on the leggings. and a blogger or someone like that who's like, "You know what? these are the best ones that I found." That's super helpful to people. And I think a lot of people forget that when they buy things, they use blogger or word of mouth through the internet opinions. So there's nothing wrong with doing that, in my opinion. I mean, whoever I found on the internet today helped me pick the ones that I ended up buying.
0: Yeah, I'm totally with you there. All right. Well, we just got on an affiliate tangent type thing there. But let's hop back to your story. So you were the Olympic team intern. Is that what you call it?
1: Yeah, so there's the Olympic Training Center, and that is the facility where a lot of the Olympic athletes that compete for the U.S., they they train there and they live there. So me and maybe 10 other interns, we lived in the dorms with the Olympic athletes for five months. We got to, and this was leading up to the London Olympic Games in 2012. This was in January that I moved in. And the the training center was constantly hosting events. So on the, the floor with me would be the Olympic team from Italy in wrestling or U.S. women's boxers there for a tournament. We ate at the dining hall with the athletes. And then during the day, I commuted to the headquarters downtown where I ran the social media profiles and I put together some digital marketing and analytic strategy for them.
0: Did a lot of the things you learned on your website transfer over to when you worked with the U.S. Olympic Committee?
1: Absolutely. So I knew from experimenting for months on how to drive traffic to my study abroad blog by writing different content, by focusing on different keywords, by optimizing Facebook and Twitter posts and hashtags and all of that. I had already practiced experimenting. So when I went into that internship and they wanted us to help get to 2 million Facebook likes by the summer when the Olympic Games started, I had a better chance on how to do that than maybe the other interns and the other people I was working with because I had practice experimenting so I would get my job done in like 10 minutes that they wanted me to do and then I would spend the rest of the time putting together a proposal for an analytic strategy on what type of content we should produce and I would actually put together the content and to the extent that they would let me test I would test it and then I would go to my boss and set up a meeting and say hey I put together this profile of athletes with their mothers for valentine's day and it's getting really early a lot of success like let's do this to grow it even more it's driving tons of traffic to the website here are the metrics and they were just like wow this is so great and they're pumped about it
0: so yeah it sounds like basically you just built this resume of skills that have nothing to do with your college major and now you're basically just selling your skills to the u.s olympic committee and wowing their socks off so that's amazing
1: yeah, it was really cool. And I ended up being the first intern to get a full-time job offer and ended up staying on. I decided to work for one of the sports. I had played field hockey in college and there was an opportunity at USA Field Hockey. So I worked with them for a little while and I had a great experience. Met my husband there. It was awesome.
2: And I'm curious about some of the you know, the technical aspects and how they've changed. I know things like SEO or just the way you drive traffic have changed so much and will you know just continue to change. So... How does the way things work now compare to when you started?
1: I actually use a lot of the same strategies that I used then, and I use that them now. So, for example, there was a point when I wanted to continue my study abroad blog, but I ran out of things to write about Florence and the places I'd been to. So I employed some of my friends who studied abroad in Turkey or Ireland to write posts for me. And that's a strategy that I do now. I employ virtual assistants to add content that I may not be familiar with myself, but I know is something that people are searching for. I use that. The Keyword Planner tool is always an awesome Google tool to use. So to find keywords and research and see what's trending. Google Trends is great to see what's trending. Driving traffic through Facebook and writing content that is a little controversial and funny is really shareable. So those are some of the things that they're, they're still around today and they were around then.
0: And something that you actually personally helped me with, and I don't even know how big it was back when you were on the U.S. Olympic Committee, but Pinterest. And I know you get something like 3 million visitors to your Pinterest every month. So I'd love if you could just touch on that a little bit.
1: Sure. And you want to know something funny? I created the first Pinterest account for the USOC, the U.S. Olympic Committee, and my sister ended up getting the internship two years later. And one day she's talking and she's like, whoever created this Pinterest account was awful. This thing stinks. (laughs) And I'm like, hey, that was me. So don't even (laughs) talk about it. But I've learned a lot since then. I, I knew it was at least a good idea to start it in 2012. But yeah, she ended up, I recommended her for the position. And I think because it went so well for me, they were like, yeah, of course, you know, bring her on and it ended up being a great experience for her. But yes, anyways, Pinterest, to answer your question, Pinterest is an amazing, amazing platform. A lot of people don't get it or they poo-poo it, but just think about this. There's no other platform right now that lets you create thousands and thousands of ads and links and puts them all over the internet for you for free and recommends your content to other people without you paying a dime for it.
0: Because Pinterest is basically just a search engine with pictures, right? It's like Google of pictures.
1: Yes, it's Google of pictures and it's helping people find blog posts and articles about the topic that they want to research. So for me, I used it personally when I was thinking about renovating our kitchen and getting ideas from Pinterest or when I was searching for wedding ideas as we were planning our wedding. I was creating a board of wedding ideas and reading from other bloggers who they did some DIY wedding stuff and how I could do that too. So creating Pinterest boards. So Obviously, you know, wedding and home renovation and lifestyle, those type of contents do really well on Pinterest. But people who are on Pinterest, they're interested in other topics, too. So for a personal finance blogger like myself, just because someone's planning their wedding doesn't mean that they don't want to see a post on how to save money. I mean, everyone wants to save money. So I think there's a nice overlap there.
2: And in terms of creating something like, uh, you know, images for Pinterest, I hear a lot that you need a theme. You need to train readers' eyes to, you know, glance at a picture and know, hey, that's millennial boss content, or hey, that's a post from the five Show. So, how important do you see that being?
1: I think it's a horrible idea for someone starting out. People starting out, unless you are a graphic designer or you have a natural gift, you're going to be horrible. So, to commit to one theme instead of testing and experimenting, which is the number one thing that any of us learn in this online game, like you've got to be willing to test, you have to be willing to experiment and change things up almost daily. If you're committing to a theme too early, there's going to be no benefit, especially when you have low readership. So the 1000 people who read your blog are going to be able to recognize your Pinterest pin, there's no value there.
0: Sorry, we got into a Pinterest tangent. I just know it's a gray area for a lot of people because they don't understand the value of Pinterest. And Once you kind of explained to me, I was like, wow. And I watched all these YouTube videos about how it's like the best search engine ever and it's free advertising and all that. So I just think it's super valuable for the listeners to hear about.
1: Yeah. And I mean, for me, I have a pin about how to DIY your own wedding flowers. And my wedding, the flowers cost us maybe $300. Whereas if we went with a florist, it might be $5,000 in Boston. So I have a post on exactly how I did it. And in the post, I link to Amazon products of this is the exact ribbon that I bought These are the pruning shares that I bought. This is the company that I used and the package that I bought. So I'm helping people make a decision about an event that they're nervous about to have me recommend it. And by using Pinterest, I'm able to get that in front of the exact audience that I want.
2: So back to the U.S. Olympic Committee job, how long did you stay there and what came next?
1: So I ended up staying with the USA Field Hockey for about a year and at the time I realized yes, this is going well for me. I know a lot of stuff. I can help them. I'm learning. I had a very knowledgeable boss that I was learning from, but it wasn't a big enough organization for me. And I wasn't, the skills that I was learning, like yes, this digital media, social media stuff, that's great. You can learn it on your own, but what can't I learn on my own? And I knew that I needed to go to a big company. I wanted to stay in Colorado though because I loved Colorado and my husband was there, my boyfriend at the time. So I ended up searching for working for tech jobs in massive Fortune 500 companies. And I ended up landing a job as a project manager for an insurance company in Colorado. So I ended up, you know, kind of getting my first in in the tech world. And the way I got in there was using everything that I'd learned previously. So it was my study abroad site, this new experience with the Olympic Committee and all of that. But then also I didn't mention that a startup had approached me because of the study abroad stuff that I had been doing on my site. And after they talked with me, they're like, wow, like you're super passionate. Do you want to work for us for free? And at the time, being 22, I was like, yeah, I'd love to work for you for free. So I worked for them for free for two years, and we built this website on $15,000. And that experience kind of helped me, of project managing that $15,000 and the website development, helped me get my first job in tech.
2: And that blog that you were running about you know, studying abroad, was that still going on while you were working at the USOC?
1: I did run the travel blog. I kind of let it die a little bit. And unfortunately, I didn't pay for the domain name and lost all the hosted files, which is a total bummer. I would have reinstated it. And then a company, a Chinese company bought it. And now if you go to ilovestudyabroad.com, it's like this random, this random site right now. It's way better to buy someone else's domain name with all their backlinks and everything than to start your own site from scratch. So that's a tip.
0: And where would you recommend, like, what's the best website for people to buy old domains from?
1: Hmm. I mean, I've bought domains from FLIPA, FLIPPA previously, but I would just encourage them to maybe keep an eye on a domain that may be out there and catch it if it expires. It kind of depends what they want to do though.
2: So you land this job in insurance. What exactly are you doing? Like, does it have anything at all to do with insurance itself? Are you still getting experience with social media? You know, just what is going on at this point?
1: No, this had nothing to do with social media. So what I'm doing is working with engineers to develop software, internal software.
2: With no coding background.
1: No coding background at all. Now, after being there for six months... Now, I mentioned that I was kind of all over the place in college. I've always been a hustler. So whenever I I get something, I work hard. So in six months, I was determined. I went from, I've never done a tech job in my entire life. I have no idea what's going on. To I was promoted to be a manager of a team. Now I was promoted after a year but within 6 months my boss's boss approached me and was like look we think you'd be really really good in this role what do you think and it's, in my mind I'm like that sounds really scary but then I sort like yeah like I'm ready for it so yeah it was a really quick climb and I ended up getting my masters reimbursed by them and realized because I didn't have the technology you can't have credibility with engineers if you don't if you don't have that at least basic fundamental knowledge so ended up getting my masters completely reimbursed In information systems.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And so I know you're not there now. So, how long did you stay at that insurance company?
1: I stayed for, I think, maybe three and a half, four years. And the decision to leave was extremely difficult. I had the best boss in the entire world. I managed a team. I was absolutely moving up the ladder. There's no doubt about it. I had no problems with this company. Great people I worked with. Colorado is still my favorite state in the entire US. But for my particular life goals, I knew that I needed to work in the heart of tech. I needed to get into a technology company because as much as you can you know, be in tech at any company, it is very different when you are at a technology company.
0: And so what happened from there?
1: So I ended up looking for scholarships for opportunities to help me finish paying for my master's. And I ended up finding an application for a scholarship to the Grace Hopper Celebration, which is the largest celebration for women in computing. So I went to the Grace Hopper Celebration. I networked with all these companies. And at first I was very intimidated by the other women attending almost too, and people who were younger than me. I mean, I was only maybe 26 at the time, but the other attendees, especially the 21-year-olds out of college, they were like, oh, like Google gave me an offer. Facebook gave me an offer. I'm going to play hardball with them. They were like so funny about it. And I'm like, oh, I don't even work in tech in these high-tech companies. I don't have a CS degree. I was just intimidated by the whole experience. But Whenever I feel intimidated on the inside, I force myself to project that I'm extremely confident on the outside. So I don't think that that necessarily came across. And I ended up networking and I ended up getting an opportunity to interview for a massive tech company in Silicon Valley. I had the interview, it went really well. I kind of decided that I was going to slow down the the process and said, you know, I wouldn't be ready to look for another role until a few months later, which is something that you can do. A lot of people think that they have to just, you know, move by the timeline of the hiring person. And in situations like that, when it's like a networking thing and when the role is not like, oh, we need this person now, you actually have more of a grace period. It's more like, oh, okay, they think that you would be a good person in the role. You have the control in terms of the timeline. So I ended up doing that and decided that I needed to make the move to California.
0: And so for all the women listening who might be interested in something like this, is the Grace Hopper Scholarship something you can just find online and you just Google it and apply? Or what's the process for that?
1: Absolutely. It's, so it's called the Anita Borg Scholarship. And it's either for undergraduate or graduate students. And I think you need to have or be pursuing a, a degree in computer science or computer information systems. You need a recommendation and some other things, which I had to put together, but it's totally worth it to go. And now you can just pay. You can Anyone can go to the Grace Hopper Celebration. You can just buy a ticket and go and do the networking yourself. And for me, doing the I could have just paid for the ticket and still network my way into it. The benefit of getting the scholarship is that you get to be considered a scholar You can get special scholar opportunities where I showed up in certain databases and the companies were very interested in talking to the scholars, I guess, but it's not 100% necessary.
2: So how long after the Grace Harper celebration was it before you made your transition to this new company?
1: I went to the Grace Harper celebration in October and I think I started in the new company at April of the next year. And part of that was driven by me wanting to make sure that I fulfilled my requirements with my old job because I was not leaving this old job on bad terms at all. I wanted to make sure of that. And also I let my boss know in advance that I had an offer from this company and kind of kept him informed and I, that I was going to make a decision. And if you have a great boss and you know there's no risk to your job, it's not like they're going to say, oh, you're looking, you're gone, then I recommend giving them a heads up and kind of working with them on that transition.
2: I'm sure everyone is going to look at a move to, you know, of these Silicon Valley top companies and expect a big pay increase, you know, especially moving to California. But you're already a manager at the company you're at, and that was a large company itself. So did you actually have to take a pay cut for this one?
1: I got a pay boost because it costs, so it costs more to live in California, but we ended up decreasing our standard of living significantly. So when I was in Colorado, I ended up, I lived in Colorado Springs, but I commuted to Denver. So we were able to get this really, really nice house and we filled it with all this furniture and our house was this just beautiful thing. And then in California, we squished into a one-bedroom, awful apartment. Um, (laughs) I don't even think it counts as a one-bedroom. But it ended up being about the same in housing cost. But I got paid more because it was California. And also, at tech companies, your compensation, even at the lower levels, because I was brought in as an IC, an individual contributor, in my opinion, for someone who's more junior, it's unlikely that they're just going to bring you in as a manager at a tech company, even if you were a manager previously. So I had almost three years of manager experience at that point. But, you know, I had to kind of start back at the individual contributor level. But even in ICs get stock. So overall, the compensation was higher. And at the time, I didn't mention this, but my husband and I were in student loan debt. And we also had a car loan and we had some debt from the furniture on our house. So that was another kind of impetus for us moving, not just for the career, but also kind of that one move. If we if we were able to be successful in our new positions and both get jobs and all that, then it would be really good for us to get more financially stable.
0: And so what year was this that you made the jump to the new job?
1: This was 2016.
0: So millennial boss had come when you were at your old job, right?
1: Yes. And millennial boss, now it sounds like I was a super cocky, you know, who writes that millennial boss. But at the time it was literally being a millennial boss. And I learned about keywords. So I'm like, oh, this is the perfect keyword. Millennial boss. not write about being a boss. But Writing about your career and being a fire person and all that is not really a good combo, which I learned.
0: And so were you considered a fire person at that time? Had you discovered financial independence?
1: I I guess I started out more as a student loan payoff blogger. And I was really influenced by the blog nomoreharvarddebt.com. And that is a story of a man who pays off. $90,000 $90,000 worth of his Harvard MBA in 10 months. And it's a really cool blog. He doesn't update it anymore. But if you are in debt, you might like kind of going through every post and reading his transition. But I ended up getting more into fire when I randomly saw on Mr. Money Mushdash's site who I kind of was, I discovered because the person on com discovers him in the middle of his debt payoff journey and is like, whoa, mind blown. So I, I I, had the same sort of experience, but I didn't quite act on it the same way. But when I saw that he had a trip to Ecuador planned, that I love travel. So that to me was like, hmm, maybe I'll go down there and learn more about this fire thing.
2: Okay, so that's pretty crazy. You just get on this flight to Ecuador, which is the Chautauqua trip, if you've ever heard of someone referring to that. And at that point, you're just hooked.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I should mention before this, I had also recommended Mr. Money Mustache's blog to one of my co-workers at the insurance company. And then I think a year later, he was like, hey, remember that blog that you recommended? Like, I'm going to be retired in four years and all this stuff. And I'm like, what? So that kind of made me do a double take, too.
0: <laughs> wow, that's awesome. So then after the Chautauqua, this is 2016 Chautauqua?
1: 2015.
0: Oh, this is 2015. Okay.
1: So it was all happening at the same time, moving for the Chautauqua, moving for the job, all that.
0: Wow. Okay. We're playing pinball back and forth between your career and your file life.
1: And you know what? Those are intertwined.
0: So at what point did they become intertwined? Were you like maxing out your 401k? Were you being super intentional with a really high savings rate? Or what do you mean by that?
1: So I think I maxed out my 401k for the first time. I probably did that in 2015. And then in 2016, that is when I finished paying off my debt and my husband's student loans. So it it took us through the end of the year to pay that off. And then in 2017, which is last year, that's when we could focus fully on saving for retirement. Now, we had been saving for retirement all along, which that feels really nice, because then when you hit ground zero, you're not actually at zero. You have a little something to kind of get your motivation going.
2: And you actually ended up changing jobs one more time after that tech job, right?
1: Yes. So... What I realized after living in Silicon Valley for a year, it just was not for me. It was not for me. I met some wonderful people and my husband had a wonderful job too. And the job that I was at, I probably learned more in that year than I've ever learned in my life. Like I was tested more in that year. It was now when I think about how I operate in my job now on the podcast, on the blog, a lot of it was from things that I learned during that time. But for where I wanted my life to go, even if I could make the most money possible living in that little apartment, in silicon valley being happy and also feeling like i'm growing my career but not being stressed and having you know more time to pursue hobbies and passions and other things that was more important to me so i wanted to still work at a tech company but i didn't want some of the downsides that come to that in in the valley so i moved to pacific northwest where i'm living the best of both worlds
2: and is this still 2017 yes and with this move, did you get another one of those pay raises or was this just simply a move to kind of get you, you know, where you really wanted to live in a happier place and a better, you know, environment where you wanted to live long
1: term? Yeah, it's it was a pay cut. I mean, you know, we're talking about a pay cut when I already make a lot of money. So this is not like, oh, you know, I'm making six figures and now I'm making like $20,000 a year. Not like that at all. But yeah, pay cut. I mean, in terms of fire accelerator, I would say this is a fire decelerator, but I am a lot happier. And I really like my job. I like my coworkers. I like living in the Pacific Northwest. It reminds me a lot of Colorado. So in terms of, you know, I like to say that my biggest risk to fire is leaving my job too early because I know how good I have it with my job right now. So even if I had stayed in California, I probably wouldn't have been able to make it. Whereas here, I'm like, this is great. Like, who wants to fire? I like my job. This is awesome. And sometimes I have those thoughts.
0: So you haven't had any thoughts about leaving your current company right now?
1: No, it, it's really hard. I mean, sometimes I get conflicted because I like doing entrepreneurial things, but I have found the right place for me. So if I'm going to work somewhere, it probably is going to be this company. Like, you probably couldn't convince me to leave another company for more money or anything right now. If I'm going to leave it be because I want to, like, start my own company or something like that, but the benefit of having the massive capital and all these amazing benefits and people and the environment I live in right now, you know, it's, I mean, it's great.
0: Well, you're super lucky you can say that because I can guarantee 95% of people in not just the audience, but in America cannot say that they love getting up and going to work every day. So
1: <laughs> no. And I mean, obviously there's things about my day that I don't like, but also, you know, as someone who has started multiple side hobbies, I've gotten emails that I don't like regarding the podcast. I've gotten things that upset me. So to think that, you know, it's the job, it's just kind of like some people are jerks and that's going to happen to you, whether you're going to the post office or you're in your job.
0: I'm curious, how have you stayed motivated to just keep grinding, keep creating side hustles? Because like you said before, you ended your debt payoff journey at the beginning of 2017 and that's around the time or a little after that when you started your podcast and you still had the blog going, you still had this full-time job. How did you get the motivation to keep doing things like that?
1: I think, so I, I am motivated by money, but I also am motivated by success. I'm motivated by optimizing things. The same drive that I apply to the podcast, honestly, I applied it to Neopets when I was 15. Flashback for all the millennials who are are listening. (laughs) But, um, you know, did you ever play that game?
0: I did play that game. I was pretty into it.
1: You get a free omelet and like, you know, you could hang out and see like what kind of omelet you could get and all those things, you know, probably like Farmville for our generation. But, That is kind of what sometimes these side hustles feel to me. And I'm sure if it was my day, if it was my full time job, it wouldn't feel so fun anymore. It would be more like, okay, this is more serious. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a passion for these things outside of money.
0: I know you value travel. You have a husband, you have a dog, and you said you haven't really thought about leaving your job. But just from the numbers that you put out on your side hustle report and things like that, it seems like you'd be pretty damn close to supporting yourself just through your side hustles. So, I'm having trouble believing that it's never crossed your mind to just go full-blown entrepreneur.
1: I mean, sometimes, and especially the more you know different bloggers in the community. Another example, when I moved here, Noah and Becky from Money Metagame, they're an awesome fire couple. They've been on a few podcasts. Some of you might know them. They have a great website. This one. (laughs) Oh, awesome. When I moved here, I was so excited because I know them and I was like, great, we get to hang out all the time. And for the first, you know, few months we hung out and then they're like, okay, peace out. We're going to do an RV trip Bye, mini retirement. And we were like, what? Um, So we're hoping they come back to this area. But yeah, like seeing them and other people do things, it definitely makes you question what you're doing. And someone like me who I do have a side income, but another thing is that I am married. And when you have a partner who you have to consider, you know, their needs and and their desires too. And also what we want our life to be. And, you know, maybe if this had happened for me five years ago when I was 25, but I'm going to be 30 in March and we want to start a family. We want to do all these things. So the appeal to me of like the around the world nomadic thing, it seemed like something that was for me like five years ago. For me right now is like, well, we feel like we're getting a lot of satisfaction out of our career. We want to own a house again someday. We want to have kids soon. And we're not like as you know turning our heads to do some of the things that we used to want to do
0: okay because maybe it's just because of my age because I am so stuck in that place right now just all the people hearing their amazing stories and I'm 22 and it just sucks going to my nine-to-five sitting there when I know that I could do so much more like I could travel I could create some kind of online location independent business and spending time away from family and loved ones kind of sucks too like I just got back from Australia where I lived with my girlfriend for six months and now I see her like once every two or three weeks. So, I mean, those are the five drivers for me, but it's different for everyone, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we definitely miss our families. Our families are in the Midwest and the East Coast. And certainly if we had more flexibility, we could see them more often. But because I am in a good place financially, I'm doing well at my job. I really like it. I'm in a good place with my boss. I did propose to him, you know, hey, would it be okay if I worked remotely with, you know, family in Boston, there's an office there, I'll get this stuff done for us, and it'll be a huge value for us. And I did it in my intense way where I put together this like one pager and like had all these scenarios at like (laughs) tables and like a fact section, it was like intense. But I mean, he couldn't say no to that. And he's supportive of it and ended up being super great. And now I made sure that when I was there, I did a really good job of the thing that I was proposing that I could that I should do. And now I have the flexibility to really work out of that office whenever I want to. So it kind of eliminated that family thing for me. And when I went there, kind of my parents are working anyway. It's not like they have the day off to like hang out with me all day. So I just took the train. I went to work. We actually had lunch, you and I. And then um, I went back home and I had dinner with my family. And, you know, that's something that we can do regularly.
0: Yeah, no, I, that was awesome when we met up. And it was kind of funny because I didn't exactly know what you looked like. <laughs> so I kind of had to take a shot in the dark.
1: I know. It's totally guessing. It's like, okay, is that him? I think it's him. <laughs>
0: well, I put my face in my website. It's a little different though because <laughs> you don't.
1: That's That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. When Gwen and I, we hosted a meetup in Seattle maybe a few months ago and people were like, yeah, we didn't know if it was you guys, but then we saw Gwen and we figured that was you. Well,
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm just having to sit over here you know, with a lot of FOMO from not being at this awesome sounding meetup, but you know, now I get the chance. I got to ask, Jay, what does life look like in five years?
1: Honestly, that's a constant question mark. The one thing that stresses me out right now and it stresses my husband out, it stinks to have a question mark life. We don't, we turned out we don't like this. We like routine. The two of us, like, we're both really into going to the gym and eating healthy, him more so than me, because it's his profession and kind of his like calling in life to be like that. But we just like routine. You know, we have a dog, we like, like doing our routine. And to not be able to have kind of a plan and to have question marks like, you know, do we want to stay where we are in the Pacific Northwest? Do we want to move back to the East Coast? Do we want to do an RV trip? Do we want to be like Tanya and Mark from Our Next Life? And Tanya is someone that I kind of look up to as she's almost a decade ahead of me in the career. And she's someone who, like, like me, also really took pride and cared about her career. And, you know, she's in a very stable place with early retirement. Sometimes I look at her and I'm like, I should just hang on you know, if I'm in a job that I love for a decade and then I can be at a place like her and her husband are at where they're good. Like she set it up and he set it up so that they have all these contingencies like they're good. So yeah, like those question marks are really difficult to deal with.
2: I mean, hey, that's fair. You don't want to live the question mark life. You want a little more stability and that's okay. I mean, everyone's different. On this show, we try to preach that financial independence is for everyone, but there's a lot of different paths to get them there.
1: I guess my thing is that I've tried so many businesses on top of my day job that I've thought about it. And if I were to quit my job, I don't think I'd want to spend all day doing my businesses. So my new thing is that I'm trying to set my life up so that when I quit my job, these businesses, or, you know, if I were to, these businesses would completely run on their own without me having to do them. So I'm trying to do, I mean, obviously, you know, the podcast, I would say it's more of a, a hobby than a business, but some of the other things I don't want to have to, you know, sacrifice like freedom during the day to get emails done when you know at work i'd be getting paid i worked like a decade towards this and get paid a significant amount of money to send emails if that makes sense
0: yeah that makes total sense i'm in that dilemma constantly but (laughs) what am i gonna do okay so we've kind of beat a dead horse with side hustles just talking about them over and over again but for someone who's just getting started out it is a huge mental hurdle like some people think i can't do this i can't do that i don't have the skills So I'd love to hear your thoughts on what are some of the easiest and most efficient side hustles someone can implement today.
1: Okay. So I'm not going to go into the description on these, but Airbnb, you can rent out a room in your house. You can put a tent in your backyard and rent it out. So if you can get over the idea of being creeped out about someone being around your house, then that's a great side hustle. Or you can use Turo, which is a new car thing that people who are coming on work trips or vacation can rent your car out if you don't need it during the day. So those are probably the easiest ones that you can make a lot of money with. Because my biggest thing is that it needs to be ROI for your time. After spending years and years working for free on side hustles, I don't do that anymore. My time is precious and I don't want to look back and think like, oh, I spent my 20s behind a computer and got nothing out of it. Like it needs to I need to produce something for me. But the one that I'm most excited about right now, I think it has the most potential with the least amount of effort, is the Etsy digital download side hustle. And that's something that Gwen and I, from our podcast stumbled onto after having this awesome guest on who made six figures and left her full-time job to sell printables online.
0: Yeah, and I thought you were going to touch on this one is Rover, the dog sitting thing because you just got back from walking your dog and get a few extra dogs and you'll have a $150 walk.
1: (laughs) I know. I spend so much money on Rover right now and we would totally do that but our dog doesn't like other dogs. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm giving Rover sitters like $50 or $60 a night when we leave. So Rovers, really lucrative. If you can take on another dog or you like dogs or do dog walks on your lunch break, just get on the app. It's so easy. Yeah. And this
0: conversation is really reminded me of episode five when we had Kevin from Financial Panther on. If you guys want to check that out, it's thefiveshowcom slash panther. But anyway, he talks about incorporating these side hustles into his everyday life. So he's already biking to and from work every day. So he does a Grubhub delivery or he does a Postmates delivery. And he loves dogs, so he's doing Rover. He's just finding these money-making opportunities, doing things that he's already doing. He's not adding extra stress. He's just adding extra dollars in his wallet. And I feel like if you can kind of master that, incorporating the side hustle into everyday life, that's when you can really start to succeed.
1: Yeah, definitely for sure. I think for me, those type of ones aren't as appealing because I like the game of it. Like this goes back to the Neopets thing. I probably... This is obviously an analogy, but if someone was, you know, you know, here's like a thousand dollars, you can just have it for free. Like, that's just not fun for me. I would totally take the thousand dollars, but I like the whole like creativity. So the Etsy printables thing to me, like, even if I could make that five hundred dollars I make right now doing something else, I kind of like love that I'm chasing this prize with trying to figure out a product that will sell and that people want and watching the passive income roll in.
0: That's awesome. Hey, it's the gamification of the side hustle. It's fun.
1: (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can't knock that that's what gets people motivated, like Farmville and all these things are crazy because people like games.
2: All right, Jay, thank you so much for joining us. And this was a great episode. But for people who want to reach out and learn more, where's the best place for them to go?
1: I will say this. If you want to learn more about my day to day, go to my Instagram, millennial boss, two L's and two N's when you're spelling millennial, or go to my blog, millennialboss.com. Or if you are a podcast listener, as you probably are listening to this awesome show, check out Fire Drill.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll definitely link to all those in the show notes. So, Jay, those are the regular questions, but now I'm going to bring you into the wild card question. So, I'm not ready for this, and you're not ready for this. You ready?
1: <laughs> now I'm afraid. What are you going to ask me?
0: It's wild card, it's anything.
1: Okay, let's do it.
0: What was your favorite show growing up? So, this is between ages like five and 10, and why?
1: Oh, come on, Barney. Why? Why else?
0: Barney from five to ten?
1: I don't know. Maybe Barney was when I was less than five. Okay, five to ten. Five to ten. Um,
0: I'm looking for some Cartoon Network, some Nickelodeon, something good.
1: Oh, okay, maybe. Okay, maybe that was around ten. I definitely liked One Saturday Morning. I always watch that. Goosebumps. Goose. No, that's not it. Are You Afraid of the Dark? That was on after Rugrats or something. And I remember I used to be terrified whenever it would come on, but I'd like still watch it. <laughs>
0: Actually, I'm going to ask you another question because I'm curious. What's your wildest dream?
1: (laughs) Well, now that we're talking about the waterfront property, I think my husband and I, you know, as much as we are career people, there's going to be a point where we're like, okay, you know, we achieved what we wanted to. It's time to relax. And we're starting to get into a lot of hobbies. He got into guitar, he's got me into music. So we want to really focus on exploring music and maybe spending some time in Nashville and like with learning how to make music ourselves, learning how to play guitar better. And he wants to become a, a luthier. I think that's the word, but a guitar maker. So I'm really excited to getting into that and also having a waterfront property that we can relax on when we do it. So that, you know, and having, you know, a healthy, happy family. That's kind of our wildest dream picture right now.
0: That's awesome. Well, Justin and I want to thank you again so much for coming on the show today and just sharing your story. It's truly inspirational. I think that our listeners are going to get a lot of value out of it. So thanks again and talk to you soon, Jay. Man, Cody, that's just another
2: great episode. And my favorite part is just another reason why I'm tired of people saying like they can't do something. I mean, she comes into this, what she does now has nothing to do with what she went to college for, nothing to do with what she planned to do. She just started picking up these skills and made a complete career change.
0: Yeah, Jay is an absolute baller and a homie, a mutual homie of both of us. (laughs) And I hope that she did inspire some maybe would-be entrepreneurs out there who maybe are a little scared to get their foot in the door, but she showed you that it's possible. And that's kind of a recurring theme that we've seen on the FI show. All these people who are achieving financial independence, they aren't just sticking to one W-2 job and saving 5% of their income. They're building like this skill stack and saving a big portion of their income so that they can open themselves up to options down the road. And that's exactly what Jay did. It's also
2: kind of cool because she settled into a job that she really enjoys. And so she's not just looking to necessarily quit as soon as humanly possible. She's okay with working a little longer into her life to be a little more secure because she really loves her job. And I think it's important to say that's okay. Like there's a bunch of different routes to get there, but there's a route for everybody.
0: I think it's important to note though, Justin, that it wasn't her first job. It wasn't like she fell in love with that paralegal or that legal assistant job or whatever it was when she first started She really had to kind of hop around and find her groove. And I think that is something that scares a lot of people. So for those people out there who maybe are uncomfortable or just complacent in their job, there are other options out there that might be the perfect fit for you if you go looking for it. And if you need any more side
2: hustle ideas, Jay's got some pretty interesting ones with selling, you know, tattoos to bridal parties and everything else through her digital Etsy shops. Uh, She's just got all kinds of things going on.
0: Yeah, man, there are just so many different side hustle... Whoa! That must be the call to action, Cody. I think it is, Justin. Take it away. Alrighty, so the
2: call to action this week is a little selfish and a little selfless. So go out, look at your job, think about what it is that your company or your boss is looking for and see if there's not something that is beneficial to both of you. So Jay was able to travel to a remote site so that she worked closer to her family. So she wasn't burning vacation days, but she got to spend time with him. So the call to action this week is to go look at your job. Look at your company. What is something that's maybe beneficial to them that's also beneficial to you and just pitch it?
0: Yeah, I really like that call to action, Justin. And this is something that we're also going to be discussing on next week's podcast when we interview Grant Sabatier from Millennial Money. And it's this idea of like perceived value where you see where you're most valued in your company and you just really harp on those things. And like you mentioned, Jay's going above and beyond. She's pitching social media ideas to her bosses. She's doing all these things that maybe you wouldn't think of doing to level up.
2: Well, that wraps up our show today with Jay from Millennial Boss, but obviously we couldn't cover our whole story. And hey, you might want to keep up with her in the future. So if you want all that information and her contact info, go to thefyshow.com slash Jay. Hey, that's just the letter, not J-A-Y. Also, come join one of the most inclusive groups you'll ever find in the financial independence space over at thefyshow.com slash community. And don't be afraid to give us a subscribe or one of those awesome five-star ratings in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks for listening.
0: See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show.